Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 21. Three. Sasha abandoned the voltmeter. It was the wrong line of inquiry. The exact purpose of the mineral circuit inscribed inside the case still eluded him. But like a broken pawn chain, it was the watershed. Now he understood the true nature of the problem. Tanya's radio wasn't an electrical puzzle. It required a very different approach, an approach he didn't dare attempt in his office, one that nobody could witness. He lived alone in his two-bedroom Krushkyovka, but the second bedroom was not for sleeping. It had no bed, just shelves, cabinets, a workbench, and several very old books, and a series of wards he'd girded himself. He set the radio on the bench. Then, from one of the cabinets, he produced an eclectic collection of crystals, flower blossoms, and tarnished silverware. These he arranged in the corners of the room. Some he laid inside special chalk marks on the floor. Others he placed in iron baskets suspended from the ceiling. Then he placed a thumbnail-sized piece of patinated copper mesh on his tongue and spoke the appropriate incantation. The room instantly went from merely quiet to utterly still. It was as though the outside world had disappeared. He removed the copper mesh from his mouth and set it on a towel. Only now, with the magical Faraday cage hermetically sealed, did Sasha turn his full attention to the radio. First, he removed the case again. He studied everything, not with a technician's eyes, but with a sorcerer's inner sense. He plugged it into the mains. As in his office, it functioned like a perfectly normal radio. When he twisted the dial, the speaker hissed nothing but static. Remembering how the circuitry had taken so long to de-energize, he unplugged it again, and now, with his inner eye wide open, he felt a tingle. 
Such magical craftsmanship. So orderly, so precise, almost crystalline. This was the work of an ice sorcerer. But to what end? He'd find out sooner or later. What one sorcerer could do, another could undo. What one spell could weave, another could unravel. Sasha's magic could melt this ice. That's what Flame did. He touched the tuning dial. The static hiss grew stronger. The static took on a strange warble, as though the radio were pulling down a signal from very far away. He kept turning the dial, slowly, slowly. The tingle became a spiritual jolt that almost knocked him from his chair. The static disappeared. And then the unplugged radio spoke in an old man's voice. Danushka, are you there, little bird? What matters must we discuss? Tatiana Mikhailovna, the construct prattled. Why won't you speak to your lonely grandfather, little Tanushka? Sasha smiled. I'll speak with you, dear Dadushka. A staticky pause. For a moment, Sasha thought the spell was broken. Then the construct said, you're not Tatiana. No, Sasha said, I am not. But tell me something, grandfather. Do you play chess? She'd come to hate this time of night. The darkest, quietest hours were when visions of Andula Zlata infiltrated Tanya's dreams. The student she'd worked so hard to save, she and Nadia, her trusted partner, or so Tanya had thought. But Nadia had deceived Tanya. And now, poor Andula was stacked and stored like frozen cargo on the Voltava barge. When the clock ticked three, and her nerves still thrummed, as they had all day, Tanya threw off the blanket. It was Gabe's fault. Damn you, Pritchard. His story, his pathetic appeal, was too ludicrous even for the most desperate CIA dangle. Yet somehow he had found the barge, a moving sight virtually invisible to Scrang, while a complete newcomer to the secret world of ice and flame. But what kept her awake all night was the look on Nadia's face when Gabe spoke of the hitchhiker. Like a starving wolf glimpsing a lame caribou. Hiding her disgust had been one of the hardest things Tanya had done in recent days. It was like trying to swallow broken glass. And now, here she lay in the middle of the night, jaw clenched, mind racing, stomach roiling. The foolish American might as well have begged Nadia to abduct him and put him under stasis. Maybe he'd land on the cot next to Andula. Tanya should let him. He was a Western intelligence officer, she benefited from his troubles. If only it were that simple. Because as much as she hated to admit it, she needed Gabe's help as much as he needed hers. She needed to get her radio back. Every day Sasha held it, every hour. The danger grew that he might stumble upon its true significance. If Gabe had stumbled into their secret sorcerous world, surely others could too. And comrade Komietsky was already looking for reasons to question her loyalty. Nadia had warned her, weeks ago, 
that he expected her to monitor Tanya. Her own safety and her grandfather's depended upon keeping the radio secure. Meanwhile, she desperately needed the counsel of her grandfather's construct. To tell him what she'd learned about ice, to ask him what it meant. She needed his reassurance. She needed that damn radio. She didn't dare enlist Nadia in a move against Sasha. So she couldn't trust anybody in ice, which was a new and startling truth. Nor could she trust anybody in the KGB, which was a truth of the familiar but wearying kind. At least Tanya knew where she stood with Gabe. And in the end, she preferred the devil she knew. The trick would be in taking the radio back from Sasha without his realizing they'd taken it, which meant they had to replace it with a replica. First problem, they didn't have an exact replica. I'll sell you charms, said Jordan, at the regular price, which you should consider generous given what you owe me. Gabe placed his empty glass on a handful of neatly folded coronas and a slip of paper. He slid it all across the bar. No charms, I need something else. You really know how to push your luck, Pritchard. I thought you'd enjoy a fun challenge. I'm paying for it, aren't I? Well, he and Tanya together. Jordan moved his empty glass into a bus bin beneath the bar in one smooth motion. The money disappeared almost like a magic trick. She glanced at the note, frowned. Give me a few days. Three nights later, two spies sat in a dark car. To any passerby peering through the steamy windows, they'd look like a couple having an illicit rendezvous. But there was nothing sexual about the tension filling the space between them. It was the uneasy thrum of being vulnerable, of willingly opening the door to one's enemy the tension of unwanted symbiosis. Nothing would save Tanya if she were discovered in a car with a known CIA officer. Proximity to Gabe put a queasy lump in her stomach. Show me. Gabe whisked a blanket from the lump on the back seat. Ta-da. He watched her expression in the moonlight. Please tell me it's a match. She shook her head. Niet. And then she reached into her pocket and flicked open a knife. He raised his hands. Hey, hold on a second. She twisted in her seat, reached past him, and hauled the radio onto her lap. His aftershave smelled of lemongrass. She clenched her eyes and concentrated. Several minutes passed. Gabe broke the silence, startling her. Whatever you're trying to do, the spell isn't working. Otherwise, the hitchhiker would be rattling its cage right now. And by cage, I mean my skull. Americans, they loved the sounds of their own voices. Do you always talk this much? She opened her eyes again. I wasn't casting a spell. I was remembering. She pressed the tip of the knife into one of the knobs and, very, very slowly, carved a small chip out of the plastic. Next, she dragged the blade over the metal case, which elicited a toe-curling screech, as she did her best to reproduce a distinctive scratch. There, she said, folding the knife away. 
Now it's a little better. A little? The plastic trim is yellowed here, she pointed, and here. But I don't know how to replicate that. I do. Now it was his turn to reach into a pocket. He produced a small vial of topical iodine, the kind used to disinfect minor cuts and bruises, along with a handful of cotton balls. I stopped at a chemist on the way home this evening. She frowned at him. He shrugged. Almost apologetically, he added, cheap Soviet plastics aren't known for their durability. Half a dozen whatabouts leapt to mind, but she bit back on her retort. She sighed. Resourceful. The iodine takes about 20 minutes to soak in. It'll set semi-permanently if we let it sit overnight. He cleared his throat. Or so I'm told. She took the bottle. When she broke the seal, a faintly oceanic scent filled the car. Second problem? Tanya didn't know where Sasha kept the original. It was possible he'd taken it home. That would require a team of lamplighters. But Gabe wasn't about to request that Frank authorize a penetration of the home of his own counterpart in the local KGB. Merely broaching the subject would be professional suicide. It would be even worse if Komietsky were keeping the radio in his office in the Soviet embassy. Authorization for an operation like that would have to go through levels so far above Frank's head, one would need a telescope to see them. They would have to lure Sasha out, radio in hand. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. A timid knock pulled Sasha from his contemplation of the transcript of a recent Youth League meeting a welcome diversion. Unless it was Casimir coming to reiterate, yet again, his theory about NATO conspiracies to manipulate wheat prices. Yenther, please. It wasn't Casimir. It was Tanya. Sir, may I speak with you? Of course, always. He set the transcript aside, giving her his full attention. She closed the door. How may I aid your struggles in defense of the motherland? 
She fidgeted. She kept her eyes on the floor, on her shoes, as though she couldn't bear to meet his eyes. Finally, she said, recently you found something. Aha, the strategic approach had worked. He'd been right to keep the Joisenzug in reserve. Sasha concentrated on keeping his expression clear of anything but the utmost sincerity. When a smile threatened to tug at the corners of his mouth, he deported it to the endless step. Why so despondent, Tatiana Mikhailovna? I told you I would take care of the problem, and I have. You needn't worry about others misconstruing what was surely an innocent misunderstanding. Of course, sir, and I'm very grateful to you. With visible effort, she stopped fidgeting. She looked up. Soon after his arrival, General Bukowski approached me privately. He wanted to verify the item was safe. I thought, well, I remembered what you had told me, so I reassured him. I let him believe I still had it. How did he know you held it? She shrugged. She looked ready to cry. Moscow Center ordered me to take it to Prague, where somebody would retrieve it and to tell nobody. I didn't know I'd have to wait so long. At first, I thought it was meant for you, but then he asked. I was afraid to tell him I'd lost it. He tented his fingers, leaned forward, nodded slowly. He was every inch the attentive listener. It encouraged her. She continued. A few days later, he told me we would together deliver the item to a particular car parked near the Prasna Brana, the powder gate. A green Moscovich. I started to panic. I didn't know what I was going to do. Is this why you sped along my old friend's departure, Tatiana Mikhailovna? Or have you finally joined me in a game of chess? I see, said Sasha. He stroked his chin. What did you do, Tanya? Nothing. That was the day of his unfortunate circumstances. She looked down again. I'm ashamed to say I was deeply relieved by his misfortune. I chose to pretend he'd never had the chance to tell me about the delivery. Sasha nodded. I understand. You were caught in a difficult situation. But why are you telling me now? I passed the Prasna Brana this morning. The car is there, sir. A green Moscovich, just as he described. Oh, Tanya. He stroked his chin, watching her. The tears were a nice touch. Is this your gambit? You'll suggest the errand should be completed, yes? That we should deliver the radio? And soon after that, when old Sasha considers the matter settled and the item long gone, it will secretly find its way back to you. What do you suggest we do? I don't know. She took a steadying breath. But given his manipulation by that Westerner, I worry. Sir, what if this errand was orchestrated by our enemies? Sasha couldn't help but smile. No transparent gambits for little Tanya. She had played her own Zweizenzug. He hadn't expected this. 
clever. He willed an avuncular gleam into his eyes. Still smiling, he said, you think we should use the radio as bait and see who takes it? She shrugged. If I were not personally involved, I know it is the course I'd recommend. In this matter, well, I must rely on your judgment, sir. The worst thing about hiding inside the trunk of a parked car wasn't the painful contortion. It wasn't the tire iron jabbing his ribs. It wasn't even the cold. It was keeping the hitchhiker in check, while the liquid metal in the mercury switch just inches from Gabe's head kept sloshing against its glass bulb like a tiger trying to leap through the bars of its cage. If it broke free and tried to join with the hitchhiker, he'd have no good options. He could leap from his hiding place into plain view of two dueling and unforgiving agencies, or he could lie there and let the poison wriggle up his nose and, probably, drill into his brain. Alistair's relaxation and meditation techniques were no help in this situation. At least the iodine smell had finally dissipated. He did his best to endure the cold, the discomfort, and the incipient migraine just a little longer. If he could put up with this, then Tanya would get her stupid construct back, and then she'd help him get free of the hitchhiker once and for all. He hated this plan. The hitchhiker loved it. But just when he thought he'd have to give up and creep through the access panel in order to shake off the seizures, he heard footsteps. He froze. A rear door opened. Somebody placed something on the back seat and closed the door again. Tanya wanted to warn Gabe that she wasn't alone, that Sasha was watching, but she didn't dare speak to the empty car. So she turned on her heel and strode away from the ancient city gate. She took a serpentine path back to Sasha's auto, parked at the edge of the old town, partially because she knew it was important to demonstrate good tradecraft but also because she dreaded getting back in the car with him. It was a special kind of torture, pretending to enjoy the ruminations of a man who'd threatened, ever so subtly, to have her grandfather killed. If she had to hear one more Japanese poem, she'd shoot herself. To her immense relief, they didn't have to wait long. A man slightly older than Sasha crossed the square and went straight to the Moskvich, I've seen him before, she said, because it was true. I saw him speaking with Hawkinson, the Norwegian, which was also true, of a sort. They'd exchanged a greeting. Your instincts were right, said Sasha. He folded his newspaper. We'll follow him. She started the car, acutely aware that she was being graded on everything she did. I had forgotten how thrilling this could be, said Sasha. You and Nadia must have such fun. Gabe waited until Arnie had the car in gear. By agreement, they didn't speak. But Arnie did as they'd planned and drove as loudly as he could, which meant grinding the gears, gunning the engine at intersections, and driving over the bumpiest cobbles in Prague. He'll plant the bug she'd warned. I'll suggest it if he doesn't. 
Once they were underway, Gabe opened the access panel into the noisy back seat. Arnie met Gabe's eyes in the rear view. He scratched his left ear. We're being tailed. Gabe swapped Tanya's radio with the decoy. It was a decent match. He'd been skeptical about artificially aging the plastic, but it had worked better than he'd hoped. Judging from her recreation of the original discolorations, Tanya had quite a memory. He'd have to step lightly around her. He left the replica on the seat and, suppressing a groan, retreated into the trunk with the construct. Tanya followed the car from the powder gate all the way to a park on the edge of the city. By the time the driver of the Moskovich pulled over, she'd fallen back more than a hundred meters, as the traffic here was thinner than in the heart of Prague. The driver, Gabe's acquaintance, exited the car and walked into the park. She endured another several hours in the car with Sasha. He smoked. When she wasn't wondering how long it would take to wash the smell out of her hair, she pondered whether Gabe had frozen to death. As they'd arranged, nobody came to collect the radio, and the driver hadn't returned. The radio was unguarded. But to her surprise, Sasha didn't suggest retrieving it. Instead, he yawned, stretched, and winced. I think I am too old for these stakeouts, he said. Now I remember why I no longer yearned for fieldwork. This is a young person's game. I'm a cold, hungry old man. Let's return to the office. She coughed. But, sir, you saw the Westerner just as I did. Something isn't right about this. You've delivered the package as ordered. And those orders came from Moscow Center, yes? Yes, sir, she lied. Then you have done your patriotic duty, and I have witnessed this. He turned to her with that dangerously innocuous smile, the one laced with barbs she could not see. Don't worry, Tatiana. I have your best interests at heart. Heart, thumping like a trishotka, played by an over-enthusiastic five-year-old. She turned the car around and drove home. Had he fallen for it? Under the guise of scratching an itch, she wiped beads of sweat from her forehead. She wanted to believe it had been so simple, but then she pictured his office, littered with chess pieces. And now Gabe, and by extension the CIA, had her grandfather's construct. Could she trust him to return it? Or had she just traded one problem for another? The trunk opened. Hello, chum. Comfy? Hi, Arnie. No. Arnie offered a hand. Gabe needed it. He was numb from toes to scalp. He shivered. Arnie had thoughtfully brought a blanket. Gabe wrapped himself like a burrito and jumped up and down to restore the circulation to his feet. The other man lit a cigarette. Who is the bird? I've seen her at the Vodnar. She's been a pain in my ass for weeks. Gabe spoke with conviction, because it was true. It helps me greatly if she's associated with you, because you're associated with Hawkinson. You really know how to make a guy feel like a leper. Yeah, but you're my favorite leper, Arnie. They shook hands. 
Thanks for the favor, said Gabe. I owe you one. I should be thanking you. The older man inhaled, swelled his chest until his ribs creaked. God, I miss this work. Gabe let the other man finish his cigarette. He waited until Arnie had disappeared before getting back in the car to study Tanya's construct. Gabe's invisible pal was unusually quiescent. Gabe had been prepared for a tantrum from his ethereal Siamese twin. Proximity to the golem had had Gabe speaking in tongues. And before that, the hitchhiker had nearly given him an aneurysm the night it sensed the construct chasing Andula's Lata. Gabe had spent the evening in a preemptive mental cringe, dreading the moment when the hitchhiker detected the special nature of the radio. But having failed to absorb the mercury, it was almost as if the hitchhiker had gone into hibernation and hung a do-not-disturb-until-summer sign on the cave door, like it couldn't care less about the radio construct. Almost as if... Oh, shit. This wasn't Tanya's radio. Sasha had made a replica, too. No wonder the plastic had seemed such a good match. Sasha had probably used the same iodine trick. Gabe pulled out his pocket knife and, working quickly as he dared with shaking hands, removed the screws that held the case together. But when he opened the radio, his breath snagged in his chest like a sweater caught on a bramble. The VHF transmitter was inconspicuous as a tumor. In his imagination, the tracking beacon pulsed relentlessly as a telltale heart. Alexander Komietsky, head of the Prague KGB, was toying with them. And if not for the hitchhiker, Gabe would have bumbled straight into the trap. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Kao. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. 
Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.